Bismillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Yuvayna ta'allamu ve ta'alimu ve tezekkürü ve tezekkürü ve nef'a ve intifa'a. Ve l-ifâleti ve l-istifâleti ve l-hâthâleti mesuki bi kitâbi Allahi ve sunneti rasûlihi sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem. Ve dua ile l-hudâ ve d-delâleti ala l-khayr. Ebtigâ'a mardâti Allahi ve cihîhi ve kulbi ve thawâbi. Allahum iftah alayna bi hikmetik ve anşur alayna bi rahmetik ya zel celali ve l-ikram. Bismillah. Let me find where we left off. Okay. Yes. All right, here we are. بسم الله قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى ونفعنا الله وياه بعلمه في الدارين أمين وخف الله في دينك وارجوه في جميع أمورك واصبر على ما أصابك قال علي رضي الله تعالى عنه لا تخف إلا ذنبك ولا ترجو إلا ربك ولا يستحي الذي لا يعلم أن يسأل حتى يعلم ولا يستحي من يسأل عما لا يعلم أن يقول لا أعلم. Okay, so he starts off. He says, رحمه الله تعالى خف الله في دينك. Is have fear of Allah سبحانه وتعالى as relates to your deen. Have fear of Allah as it relates to your deen. Of course, the most important thing that we should have concern over is our deen, because. Uh, if there's anything that we gain in life, it doesn't mean anything if we lose our religion. And if we lose all kinds of things, but we're able to maintain our religion, then of course that's a great victory. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the best. وَرْجُوهُ uh, فِي And seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Put your hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as relates to all of the things that you have to take care of. Okay? So the idea here is that where is our hope? And uh, again, these are one of the things that you will see about this book is that so much of it is like you could pick it up and read one line and then just live with it for a week. And you could read another line and live with it for a week and read another line and live with it for a week because all of it is so important. So just put your hope in Allah when it comes to all of your situation, all of your issues, all of your affairs, anything that you're dealing with, put the hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm worried for my kids, I put my hope in Allah. I'm worried for my rizq, I put my hope in Allah. I'm worried for my safety, I put my hope in Allah. I'm worried for how do I get this job and do this, and I put my hope in Allah. I'm worried for how do I learn to control my anger, I put my hope in Allah. I'm worried about how do I figure out how to be more patient, put my hope in Allah. Anytime we put our hope in ourselves, then in a sense we've made a, 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 a faulty investment, you know. Yeah, we have our own personal responsibility, of course. We have to make our own effort, we have to have our own responsibility. But as we make our effort, I don't think the issue is the mic. I don't think it's the mic. It is the mic. Yeah. Battery, it is the mic. Battery is still dead. It's red. Doesn't the battery switch? 
It's like when you wake up in the morning and you're still tired. Are not, are not, yeah, they ran their life course. Yeah. Uh, There's more, though. Is there more? Yeah, Mark was grabbing this. This microphone. Just woke up in the morning, it was already tired. Gave it new batteries, it didn't matter. <laughs> it's like, it slept, it didn't matter. There's no more charge in them. like Iman. Iman becomes more efficient with more use. <laughs> okay. If it's if it's the batteries, then it'll reconnect. But if they are um, end of a lifespan, it'll die soon. It's gonna die. We'll see. It's, it's better that's batteries then. If yeah. it's the connection. Let's see. It's green right now. See how long it stays green. Maybe it's not in my nasib to speak today. <coughs> so have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything. Of course we have our own responsibility. We have our own effort that we need to make. But we always have to remember that our effort is limited. And uh, our effort is, is really secondary. What's primary is that we put our trust and our hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Atta'ala secondary Rahimullah he said Matawakafa Matlabun and Tatali Buhu be Rabbik. Umatayasara Matlabun and Tatali Buhu be Nafsik. That anything that you seek through your Lord, there's nothing that will stop it. And anything that you seek through yourself, it will never be made easy. Never be made easy. Allah give us tofiq. Wasbir ala ma asabak. Have patience over that which comes to you as an affliction. He has a beautiful footnote here actually, Shaykh Abdul Fatah. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He has a very nice footnote here. And what he says in it is that this issue of wasbir ana ma asabik, have patience over what you're afflicted by, whatever difficulty you go through, have patience with it. He says, uh, he says, don't think that any difficulty, any difficulty you're going through, that it won't pass. Because everything has a limited shade, and everything has its time, and the opening comes in the heart of the difficulty. And there's many evidences of that. Uh, this is one of those things that all people actually understood. It's not just the Muslims. Of course, we have a lot of like emphasis on this in our textual sources, but other religions also have this. Right? And my mother always said, and she, she still says up to today, one of her favorite things to say is, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. That's very simple. Very simple, very true. And whatever it is, <laughs> it's good, it's bad, it's what anything that it is, it shall pass. Now, that is the way that this dunya works. So he says, know that whatever difficulty you're going through, it has a lifespan. And he said, from one of the examples of this, 
<coughs> is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ لِيُفِيدَ أَنَّ الصَّابِرَ يَسْتَقْبِنَ بِشَارَةٍ مِنْ فَرَجْ أَوْ أَجْرْ أَوْ نَصْرٌ أَوْ يُسْرٍ أَوْ نَصْرٍ أَوْ يُسْرٍ So he says that the verse, that the verse says, and give glad tidings to the ones who are patient, this is an indication that the result of the patience is that the person will have some sort of ease that comes as a consequence. That either they will have uh, an opening, like their, their difficulty will be alleviated, or uh, they'll have reward for what they're going through, or they'll be given victory for their situation, or they'll be given some sort of facilitation in their situation. But anything that they do, no matter what, as long as they have sabr, some, some good will come from it. Inevitably, some good will come. Because the difficulty will not last forever. Um. وَلَا تَرْجُوا إِلَّا رَبَّكَ وَلَا تَرْجُوا إِلَّا Oh no, sorry, sorry. قَالَ عَلِي رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ Sayyidina Ali رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ He said, لَا تَخَفْ إِلَّا ذَنْبَكَ He said, don't have any fear over anything except your sin. And don't fear anything except your sin. It's really interesting. These people are like very strong people, you know. Sayyidina Ali is the Haydar. He's the lion. What he says, he says, don't have any fear over anything except your own sin. That's your issue. Worry about that. Don't worry about everything else. Worry about your sin. And don't seek anything other than your Lord. And the one who doesn't know something should not be, too, should not be so shy that they don't ask uh, until they know. Basically, if someone doesn't know something, then they should ask, they should ask about it. And then once they come to know it, then alhamdulillah they will know it. But they shouldn't, have, they shouldn't be shy about that. That tastahi. They should ask until they know. And they say that that's one of the things that prevents a person from learning. Is that there's a number of things that prevent a person. One of the things that prevent a person from learning is arrogance. Because if they have arrogance, then they think that they don't need to learn. They already know everything, right? So I don't have anything to learn in the first place. The second thing that will prevent someone from learning is that they don't want to ask questions. Because they're afraid. Maybe they're going to ask a bad question. Maybe they're going to look dumb. Maybe they're going to do this. Whatever else it might be. So they don't want to ask questions. So when they don't ask questions, then they don't end up learning. Right? So this is the one who doesn't know. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have the shyness that prevents them from asking so that they can know. And the one who has asked, they shouldn't have a shyness. Or, or they shouldn't have like... Um, yeah, he used the same word, but it's kind of different in this case. They shouldn't have this like ashamedness to say I, that they don't know. They should be okay to say, I don't know. The one who is asked. The one who is asked should be okay with saying, I don't know. Um, you know. May Allah protect us. It's one of the fitness of being asked a lot of questions. Is that sometimes a person gets in the habit of answering things. And that just becomes their standard. So like even when they're not asked something, they're still answering. <laughs> like you, you weren't know, like even asked a question But you're still answering the question Allah forgive us And then also when you're asked a lot of questions It's difficult to say I don't know sometimes right? There's there's nafs involved There's some nafs that gets involved to say like I don't know It's hard Especially I used to tell people that When you study Sharia It's like You're, you're in this very tricky spot Because you studied enough to know that the answer is not simple. 
But in order to know the answer to everything that you're asked about off the top of your head, you really have to know a lot. So you can spend like six, seven, eight years studying and then come back to, this happened to me when we were, I was at ICY, I would come back to the community. Vast majority of things people ask me, I have to look them up. Yeah. It's a fitna, like every day, every day someone comes to you, they're like, we hired you for this job. And every time we come to ask you a question, you say, I don't know, I'll look it up and I'll get back to you. Everyone's looking at you like you're crazy, you have this list. You know, like after the Lord, this person asks this question, you tell them tomorrow. After Asr, someone else comes, you tell them tomorrow. After Maghrib, someone else comes. You spend like the half the day looking up people's questions so you can answer them the next day. But it's like, or you, but still that's better, right? And we have, uh, you know, may Allah help us. And sometimes it's difficult because, you know, we want answers to our questions. And the questions are important. The issues that we're facing are important. The things we're dealing with are important. Uh, the good news for imams and people in those kind of roles is that most of the questions you get asked are like there's a handful of them you know, the most commonly repeated things there's probably like several hundred of them once you go once you've reviewed them a couple times you kind of know them you know that's why most imams are able to answer it's not because they're being arrogant or something it's because they're the same questions most of the time it's the same questions so but you have to we have to be able to say I don't know and mashallah, he spends a huge section here on this. And it's really, really important. <coughs> and we have to remind ourselves that this is, it's, this is our religion, and it's not our religion. Okay? It's our religion in the sense that we adopt it, and we seek to follow it, and we seek to live it. And it's, it's ours, like, you know, we're Muslims, alhamdulillah. But it's not our religion in the sense that we don't exercise our own control over what it is and what it isn't. Right? Like what Allah says in the Quran is what Allah says in the Quran. And what the Prophet taught us is what the Prophet taught us. And what there's absolute consensus from the scholars on, there's absolute consensus on the scholars on. It's not my business, actually. It's my business to just know what it is. It's not my business to change it. So we have to always like seek to understand you know what what did our religion say about this what does it say on this issue what does it say on that issue what did the scholars say why did they say it what's the reasoning you know all of these kind of things are important but in order to do that we have to embrace this reality of i don't know i don't know this thing and i need to learn this thing most of us will default you know this is the nature of someone who's like living versus studying so if we're just living our religion we'll default to whatever we've heard and whatever we heard from our family, maybe our local community, whatever else it might be, that's, that's going to be what we default to. But then when we study, usually it goes a little bit broader than that. We have an opportunity to dig deeper. I believe that we need to have communities that are based in learning. Uh, not just reminding each other to good, but based in learning so that we can all grow, inshallah. Anyways, here's some of the things he mentions. He mentions a story from a scholar whose name was Ahmed ibn Abi Ghalib ibn Tallaya al-Baghdadi. He died in 548 after Hijra. And he was someone who many people used to go to him. They considered him a righteous person. They used to go to him to ask for his dua. Okay? Used to ask for his prayers and stuff like that. So someone came to him and uh, <coughs> came to him and they said to him, ask so-and-so to help me with this thing. 
you know, ask so-and-so to help me with this thing. Sometimes the righteous people, sometimes people will go to them for dua. Sometimes they go to them because they want help with something. So he said, can you help me basically? What's, I, have this situ- I need some help with so-and-so. Can you help me with them? So uh, the Shaykh said to him, my brother, stand up and come with me and let's pray to Raka and let's ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because I'm not going to leave a door that's open so that I can go to a door that's closed. I'm not going to leave a door that's open so I can go to the door that's closed. Meaning what? You want me to go talk to, you, talk to this person about your situation that you have with them? That door is closed. The door with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always open. So you want me to help you with this person? It doesn't actually say if he helped him. He probably went to that person afterwards. But he's saying, first, let's stand up. Let's pray to Raka. Let's ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us with our situation. Then we'll go. And then we do whatever else we need to do. I'm not going to leave a door that's open and go to a door that's closed. And then, uh, I think this is Sheikh Abdul Fatah. He says, So don't leave the door. Say you're going to a door that's closed. Don't leave the door that's open. It's very important. Actually, this advice is very important. You know, don't, don't leave the door. If you're going to a door that's closed, we, we do that in life. Right? Like sometimes we have a situation, we have to deal with the situation. Maybe we have a problem with the person, maybe we have an issue with the job, maybe whatever else it is. And it feels like there's some sort of resistance there. There's some sort of issue there. Right? Before you go to that door that's closed, make sure that you go to the door that's open. It reminds me actually of this fatwa one time that the Sheikh gave when we were in Egypt. There was a Sheikh. He was very impressive. It's like my wife said recently. She said nothing. <laughs> we were yesterday and the day before we were in the valley with Sheikh Suhail and Ustada Lubna. Allah bless them and preserve them. And we were talking about Egypt because, you know, we were neighbors in Egypt together. And my wife was saying to them, she was saying that I don't, uh, nothing gives me despair in life the way that the Egyptian scholars give me despair. <laughs> so because you meet them and they're like so knowledgeable that you feel like you're never going to get past zero. Like these people, they're just, it's, it's too much. Like the amount of text of the, the sheikh used to get up, he's just like local masjid sheikh, you know. He used to get up every Jummah, give khutbah, 30 minute solid khutbah. The entire thing is text. This verse in the Quran, this verse, this hadith from the Prophet them, this Sahabi said this, this righteous person said that, this text said that. Whole thing is like memorized text. Every single week you get up 30 minutes of khutbah, memorized text. And then after he give the khutbah, he say, Salaamu Alaikum, Alaikum, Salaamu Alaikum, Salaamu Alaikum. And he turn around and then he would just say, Hey, Su'al. Anyone have any question? And anyone in the audience in the Jummah, they'd ask whatever question they want. Any question. This is an example, like, it doesn't mean the person was arrogant. Like, he actually knew the answers. Any question people ask, he said, there's this opinion, and there's this opinion, and this is their reasoning, and this is their evidence. Every question, like every week, week after week for years, we, we saw him do this. It was amazing. One time someone asked him, they were like, Sheikh, I have this issue with the government, and so on and so forth. Is it halal for me to give the bribe? Because like, you know, you, it's a very practical question actually. <laughs> Anyone who lives in Egypt, lived in Egypt, they understand. Like some of these countries, it's very hard to do anything if you're not paying someone. It's not even just like a, 
a lot of times it's not even a bribe to like really get anything. It's like a bribe for them to look at you in the first place. It's not even necessarily you're going to get anything done. It's just like it's part of the system, you know. So he asked the sheikh, he was like, can I, can I uh, give the bribe? I have a situation, it's just I can't get it done without this bribe. The sheikh was thinking about it and then he said, he said, listen, if you're going to have to do this, then my advice to you is that you fast. I can't remember if he said like the day of or the day before or whatever, but basically he's like fast, pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, get up in the middle of the night, make tahajjud, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open the doors for you, make serious dua about it, give some sadaqah, give some charity, ask Allah to open, like take all the spiritual doors basically, pray and fast and give charity and do all of these things. He's like, and then go and do the thing that you're trying to do and try to do it without bribing the person. And if at that point you tried all of these things and you can't get past it without bribing the person, then inshallah may Allah forgive you. You know, basically was his answer. It was really interesting, you know. It's like, but, but don't go to that door that's closed without going to the doors that are open. Make sure you go to the doors that are open. That's the point. SubhanAllah. Uh, Ibn Jawzi, he mentions another story in one of his works about... Um, قال عبد الرحمن بن إبراهيم الفهري أتى رجل بعض الأمراء في حاجة فوجده ساجدا يدعو ربه عز وجل فقال هذا محتاج إلى غيره فكيف أحتاج أنا إليه لما لا أرفع حاجتي إلى من لا تختلج أي تختلج وتتأخر الحوائج عنده قال فسمعه الأمير فلما رفع رأسه قال علي بالرجل فأتي به فقال أعطوه عشرة آلاف فقال إنما أعطاك هذا من كنت أدعوه وأنا ساجد ومن رجعت إليه. So the story is that this man, uh, he tells the story that a, a man he went to one of the emirs, you know, like one of the leaders, for an issue that he had. And when he went into this political leader, he found that this person was on the ground making sujood in prayer. They were making prostration, they had their head on the ground, they were making dua, you know, prayer and worship. And then so this person said to himself, I'm coming to this person for my need when this person needs someone else, meaning Allah, right? They're on their ground making sujood. This person needs someone else. So why don't I take my issue to the one who issues don't get delayed with him, which is Allah, right? They're saying, he, which is good. The person came in, he saw the other person making sujood. He's like, wait a second, I'm going to... Ask him, he's in sujood, why don't I just ask Allah, right? So the person who was in sujood, the emir, the, the ruler who was in sujood, he heard what this guy said, because you know, he's like had this moment, he talked to himself, and he heard what he said. So when he finished his prayer, he got up and he said, you know what, I need to find this guy. So he went and he found the guy, and he gave him 10,000, whatever it was, 10,000. And he told him, this is given to you by the one who I was calling upon when I was in sujood and the one to whom you return to. So he's saying, like, I'm giving you this 10,000, but this is not from me. This is actually from, this is from Allah. Because Allah guided you to this and made you, and, and you said what you said, and this is from Allah. Okay, so this is, this was all in the category of what I told you, إِلَّا Rabbik. Don't seek anyone other than your Lord. Don't seek anyone other than your Lord. Now he has all these stories about um, <coughs> not seeking uh, not being afraid to say, I don't know. Okay? So let's look at some of these. Not being afraid to say, I don't know. 
قال عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنه العلم الثلاثة كتاب الناطق والسنة القائمة ولا أدري He said Abdullah bin Umar was Abdullah bin Umar, right? <laughs> the great companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said knowledge is three. Knowledge is three. The first of them is uh, a book that speaks to you. Basically, like a book that you get knowledge from. And the second kind of knowledge is sunnah qa'ima, an established way that's true and that's good, right? It's a sunnah, and it's well known and it's established. You follow this sunnah. And the third thing that's, that, that is from the types of knowledge is, I don't know. Either kitab or natiq, maybe it could be, even you could understand it as the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sunnah. And the third thing is to recognize, I don't know. Um, and Munawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he commented on this. And he said, وَأُخِذَ مِنْ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّ عَلَى الْعَالِمِ إِذَا سُئِلَ عَمَّا لَا يَعْلَمُهُ أَنْ يَقُولَ لَا أَدْرِي أَوْ لَا أَتَحَقَّقُ لَا أَتَحَقَّقُهُ أَوْ لَا أَعْلَمُ أَوْ اللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ وَقَوْلٌ مَسْئُولٌ لَا أَعْلَمُ لَا يَضِعُ مِنْ قَدْرِهِ كَمَا يَظُنُّهُ بَعْضٌ جَاهِلٌ لِأَنَّ it's a beautiful statement. He said, What we learn from this statement is that the scholar or the person of knowledge should, uh, is, it's obligatory upon them that if they're asked about something that they don't know, that they say, I don't know. Or they say, which means like, uh, essentially, I need to research it. I need to research it more. I need to double check it. I need to think about it. Uh, or I don't know. Or Allah knows best. And for the person who's asked for them to say I don't know, doesn't actually lower their rank, as some ignorant people think. Uh, because the scholar who's firm in their knowledge, it doesn't harm them to not be knowledgeable of some issues. You know, they know many things, and some things they're not going to know. Uh, rather, them saying I don't know. Uh, it elevates them and it raises them because it's an evidence of the greatness of their station and the strength of their deen and the taqwa that they have of their Lord and the purity of their heart and the completeness of their knowledge and the goodness of their intention. It's beautiful. He said all of these things come as a result of the person not knowing. <coughs> وَإِنَّمَا يَأْنَفُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ مَنْ دَعُفَتْ دِيَانَتُهُ وَقَلَّتْ مَعْرِفَتُهُ لِأَنَّهُ يَخَافُ مِنْ سُقُوتِهِ مِنْ أَعْيُنِ الْحَاضِرِينَ وَلَا يَخَافُ مِنْ سُقُوتِهِ مِنْ نَظُرِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَهَذَا جَهَالَةٌ وَرِقَّةُ دِينَ Subhanallah So he said, and the one who has difficulty with this is actually the one who their deen has been weakened and their knowledge is actually very limited uh, because they are more fearful about them losing station in the eyes of the people than they are fearful of them losing station in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they should, they're worried about saying, I don't know. They should be more worried about speaking about Allah's religion when they don't, when they don't know. You know? Uh, 
And then it continues. ومن ثم نقل لا أدري ولا أعلم عن علم عن الأئمة الأربعة والخلفاء الأربعة بل على المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم وجبريل عليه السلام كما جاء ذلك في حديث خير البقاع المساجد. انتهى ثم أورد المناوي قال الصحابة وغيرهم في هذا الموضوع. Okay, so he says basically, and for this reason, the statement I don't know has been narrated from the four imams. It has been narrated from the four khulafa. Uh, Abu, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali عنهم, Even it's been, it's been narrated from the Prophet There are instances where the Prophet didn't know the answer right? They asked him certain things He, was, he would wait for the answer to come from the Wahi So this is actually an uh, essential part of our religion وَإِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ إِلَى الْإِحَاطَةِ بِالْعِلْمِ مِنْ سَبِيلٍ فَلَا عَارٌ فَلَا عَارَ أَنْ تَجْهَلَ بَعْضَهُ وَإِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ فِي جَهْلِ بَعْضِهِ عَارٌ فَلَا تَسْتَحِي أَنْ تَقُولَ لَا عَالَمٌ فِيمَا لَا تَعْلَمُ He said, listen, Imam al-Mawardi, he's a major figure. He says, because it's not possible actually to know everything. It's not possible to know everything. And because it's not possible to know everything, then there's no shame upon the person to not know some things. So if there's not any shame about that, then don't have any shame in saying, I don't know, regarding that which you do not know. Okay? Imam al-Ghazali, he talked about this also. And he put the quote of Imam al-Sha'bi. Imam al-Sha'bi was one of the uh, scholars of the tabi'een, scholars of the generation, after the generation of the companions of the Prophet wasallam. And he said, لا أدري نصف العلم He said, to say I don't know is half of knowledge To say I don't know is half of knowledge And he also said, ومن سكت I'm sorry, hold on oh, This is Imam al-Ghazali then When said, ومن سكت حيث لا يدري لله تعالى فليس بأقل أجر ممن نتق لأن الاعتراف من جاهلي أشد على النفس وقال أبو طالب المكي في قوت قنوبي وَلِأَنَّ حُسْنَ مَنْ سَكَتَ مِنْ أَجْلِ اللَّهِ تَوَرُّعًا كَحُسْنِ مَنْ نَتَقَ لِأَجْلِهِ بِالْعِلْمِ تَبَرُّعًا So he says basically, because the one who um, is silent about that which they do not know, for the sake of Allah, they don't have less reward than the one who speaks for the sake of Allah. Because for the person to acknowledge their ignorance is more difficult on the base self, it's more difficult on the ego, than to speak. Abu Talib al Mekki he said, the goodness of the one who is silent for the sake of Allah, out of awareness of Allah, is the same as the goodness of the one who speaks for the sake of Allah, because they know what they're talking about. So one person, they speak about the religion because they know and they're trying to give it to people, to Barruhani. They're giving it. They're giving this knowledge away, basically. It's the same word we use in like modern Arabic for fundraising. You know, you're collecting fun, you're collecting gifts, basically. Things people are giving. So the person who's giving knowledge, they're giving it in this way. And the person who's remaining quiet, they're also giving in a sense. So they're they're both good. Then then going back to Al Muhasib. Actually there's more. Sorry. Hmm. So 
some of the people of knowledge they said ta'allam la adri wa la tata'allam adri fa innaka in qulta la adri 'allamuka hatta tadri wa in qulta adri sa'aluka hatta la tadri he said some of the people of knowledge they said learn i don't know and don't learn i know because if you say i don't know then they will teach you until you know and if you say i know then they'll ask you questions until you don't know <laughs> it reminds me of azhar exams that's why i'm laughing <laughs> sometimes like if you could see it in their eyes because you have oral exams and you have written exams and sometimes if you're like you're giving answers that were good you can see it in their eyes like okay you think you know answers <laughs> we're going to ask you some other things yeah that happened on our grammar exam in high school it was like the hardest question in the book came on the exam five minute oral exam has to come so they'll, they'll, and they'll do this to you Ibrahim al-Nakhai Ibrahim al-Nakhai asked a question to a Shabi Shabi is the one who just came SubhanAllah, like one of the things that you notice about some of these narrations and you read them in detail First of all, I, I want to mention uh, One of the things to know about our religion Is that it doesn't come to us from like singular incidents okay? The core concepts that we have in the religion, it's important to know These are coming like narration upon narration upon narration Generation upon generation upon generation Everyone's doing this thing, right? It's not like uh, some aberration so the importance of I don't know is unanimously narrated across generation upon generation And then what you'll find too is that sometimes you'll have a narration about what someone said And then you have a story about what they did And you see how the story of what they did matches what they said, right? So as Shabi, we said as Shabi said Saying I don't know is half of knowledge Now you have a story and Nakha'i asked a Shabi a question <coughs> These are huge people Nakhai uh, asked Shabi a question. Where did he go? And Shabi was like the scholar of his time. By the way, these people also, they were people of great knowledge, but they were also people of great barakah. You know? Uh, people of great barakah. A Shabi, we have to thank him for Imam Abu Hanifa. I've told this story before. But it's an incredible story when you think about it. Now Shabi, we have to thank him for Imam Abu Hanifa. Why? Because Abu Hanifa started studying actually Deen when he was 22. Like seriously studying when he was 22. He stayed with his Sheikh Hamad until his Sheikh died when Abu Hanifa was 40. He stayed with him 18 years. You know. Then he became like the teacher. Uh, and you see this from a lot of people, like Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, who stayed in Baghdad studying for like 30 years before he started teaching and stuff. He went to Baghdad already as a student and as a righteous person and stuff. Stayed for 30 years. Then he became like, you know, Sheikh Abdul Qadr. So, uh, Imam al-Shabi, he sees Abu Hanifa. <coughs> Abu Hanifa's family was wealthy, right? Maybe some people have heard. He was wealthy. They had a clothing business, like cloth and uh, materials. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, textiles, I guess you could say. Uh, kind of like a textile. And... Abu Hanifa was going to the marketplace and Shabi looked at him he said, Ilaman Takhtanif. Told him, Where who do you go to? And Abu Hanifa was like, I don't go to anyone, I'm going to the marketplace, you know. And then he said he said, No, that's not what I mean. Like who do you go to from the people of knowledge? And Abu Hanifa was like, I don't go to the people of knowledge, you know, I'm just going to work. 
And a Shabi told him, he told him, uh, you, you need to go to the people of knowledge because I see in you an incredible intelligence, basically like an intelligence and a goodness in you. You should go to the people of knowledge. And so when Abu Hanifa heard that, he was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go to the people of knowledge. <laughs> he started studying, like, so, but imagine like the insight, the barakah the, of, of what this man is saying. Right? So he's able to look at him, he's able to see that, he's able to say that, and changes his life like that. This is a Shabi. Shabi is like one of the great people of his time. So Nakhai asked the Shabi a question. Shabi says, La adri. He said, I don't know. This is exactly what he narrated, right? He said, Half of knowledge is to say, I don't know. Nakhai comes to him, asks him a question, he says, I don't know. Nakhai said, Hada wallahi al alim. Su'ila amma la yadri faqala la adri. He said, this, by Allah, is a true scholar. He was asked about what he didn't know, and he said, I don't know. He was asked about what he didn't know, and he said, I don't know. It's a beautiful story, actually. I mean, if you sit with it a little bit, see, like, this is remarkable. <coughs> I have a note here in the side. I think I already said it. Yeah, okay, I already said that. Alright, he continues. And Muhasibi continues. وَاَسْفَاحَ.<laughs> ومن اتقاه لم يصنع ما يريد ولولا يوم القيامة لكان غير ما ترون لكان غير ما ترون It's a powerful statement from Sayyidina Umar especially when you think about him So in Muhasibi he said know that patience, sabr its relationship to our iman, our belief is like the relationship of the head to the body the relationship of patience to belief is like the relationship of the head to the body. Okay. So if the head is severed, the whole body is lost. If the head is severed, the whole body is lost. So if you hear something that angers you about your honor or something like this, then forgive and pardon and overlook it because that's from the difficult things to do. And then Umar ibn Khattab, he said, Whoever has fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, lam yashfi ghayda. This is a very hard statement to trans translate. Basically, the idea is when we have anger, there's things that you can do that will relieve all of that anger. And I don't mean good things, right? Like say someone's really angry, they want to hurt someone, and they just go and hurt that person. And all of their anger afterwards is gone. But that wasn't good, what they did, right? Or uh, maybe like they're really frustrated, so they just want to yell at someone. So then they yell at the person, and it's like all gone now, right? So he says, Whoever fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, lam yashfi ghayda. They won't do this with their anger. They won't let their anger out like this. It's kind of like if you were to take all of your anger and just dump it on something, right? They're saying, if someone really fears Allah, they won't dump their anger like this. Okay? 
and uh, Umar is saying this. And if they fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have an awareness of Allah, then they won't do whatever they want. They won't just do like everything that they feel like doing. They won't do that because they uh, have this consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said, And he said, if it wasn't for the day of judgment, things would be different than what you see. <laughs> so Omar, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to imagine too much from it. But like, you know, sometimes you feel like that. Something's happening, something's going on. And you think to yourself, like, subhanAllah, if it wasn't for the fact that we're going back to Allah, I would deal with this situation very differently, right? So he says, <laughs> You know, if it was different, if, if it wasn't that we're going back, if it wasn't that there's a day of judgment, things would be different than what you see. You know, it would be much different than what you see. Then he said, وَرَعِي هَمَّكْ وَاشْتَغِلْ بِإِصْلَاحِ نَفْسِكَ عَنْ عَيْبِ غَيْرِكَ فَإِنَّهُ كَانِ يُقَالُ كَفَى بِالْمَرِّ عَيْبًا أَنْ يَسْتَبِينَ لَهُ مِنَ النَّاسِ مَا يَخْفَى عَلَيْهِ مِنْ نَفْسِ أَوْ يَمْقُتَ النَّاسَ فِي مَا يَأْتِي مثله. We'll stop after this one, inshallah. So he said, Warai hemmek. Warai hemmek. It's a very interesting statement. I mean, really, when you read Muhasibi, you realize like Arabic is an incredible language. The way that things are said is like so concise but so powerful. Warai hemmek. You know, I translated in the side as Channel your concerns You know Like you have Your hem Is that what you're concerned about There's only so many things we can be concerned about There's a capacity limitation here Right We can only be concerned about so many things And if I'm spending my attention In things that are not really important Then that means that I'm going to lose it On other things So he's saying be careful with this. Ra'i is like the same word you use for a shepherd. When the sheep are going all over the place, the shepherd has to shepherd them. The concerns are going all over the place, the person has to be like, you know what, I'm going to bring this one over here. I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to control this a little bit, so on and so forth. We're going to have to get these things in order, right? And worry about... Be so concerned about worrying yourself. Worry, be so concerned about fixing yourself that it distracts you from being concerned about other people's issues. We don't mean issues here like things that they need help with. We mean like thing, their own shortcomings. Like be so concerned with fixing your own shortcomings that you don't see other people's shortcomings. Okay. He says because it was said, it's enough shame for a person. Uh, that they see, basically, they have an issue and someone else has the same issue. And they recognize it in the other person and they don't recognize it in themselves. That's enough of a shame for them. You know, they should be focused on themselves enough to see that issue. Or they hate people for something that they have inside themselves. Or that they cause some sort of harm to the person who's sitting with them, Jalisa person who's sitting with them, the person who keeps their company. They harm the person who's in their company. Or they speak to people about things that are not their concern. Also a very interesting statement. They speak to people about things that are not their concern. Okay, so we'll do one story in the bottom. 
then we'll stop. Sufyan ibn Hussein, it's interesting, this person is telling the story about himself, the mistake he made, right? Sufyan ibn Hussein, he says, I mentioned a person in a bad way in the company of Iyas ibn Muawiyah and Muzani, Qadi, Qadi al-Basra. He was the Qadi, the judge of Basra. And he says, I was in his company and I mentioned someone else in a way that wasn't good. And, he, and this, this judge, he was a tabi'i, he was from the followers of the companions, who was someone who was known for his intelligence. So, so he looked at him and he said to him, did you make a war against the Romans? He said, no. And he said, what about the Sindh and the Hind? You know, what about the subcontinent? Did you make jihad there? He said, no. He said, what about the Turk? What about the Turkish, Turkic peoples? Did you make jihad there? He said, no. And then he said, so the Romans and the Sindhis and the people of India and the Turks, all of them were safe from you. But your Muslim brother wasn't safe from you. <laughs> he said, all these enemy peoples, all of them were safe from you. You didn't fight this way. 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 But your brother Muslim, who you're talking about, he wasn't safe from you. <laughs> he said, so Sufyan said, the one who's narrating it, the one who said it, SubhanAllah, I chose you these people too. Like, he says, after that, he said, فَلَمْ أَعُدْ بَعْدَهَا يَعْنِي إِلَىٰ عَيْبِ أَحَدٍ مِنَ النَّاسِ أَوْ غِيبَتِهِ He said, so I never went back to that afterwards. SubhanAllah, you know. He's like, I made this mistake that time. He gave me this advice. I never did it again. It's amazing. Amazing thing. Uh, there's one more story here in the bottom about this section. It's actually really interesting, also. It's a story of Abdullah ibn Wahab and Qurashi and, Mas and Misri. Uh, Abdullah ibn Wahab was from the companions of Imam Malik. Very righteous person, also. He says the following. I put something upon myself that any time I speak bad about someone else uh, outside of their company, you know, like I backbit them, I made it upon myself that I will fast a day. So any time I speak about someone I shouldn't do, I'm going to fast a day. He said, "Fahana alayya," and that became easy for me. Like, you know, like the fasting. Maybe the fasting became too easy. فَجَعَلْتُ عَلَيْهَا كُلَّمَا اغْتَبْتُ إِنْسَانًا صَدَقَ دِرْهَمْ فَثَقُلَ عَلَيَّ وَتَرَقْتُ نَغِيبًا He says, so, I, I tried that fasting thing, it became easy for me. So then I changed it, that any time I speak bad about someone, I'm going to give this charity. And that charity became difficult upon me, so then as a result of that, I left backbiting. What's really interesting about that is that the person is taking some level of independent agency in their own religion, right? Saying like I have, this is my relationship with Allah And I need to fix this thing The way I'm going to fix this thing is I'm going to do this and this Okay, I tried that but it didn't really work <laughs> you know, I was basically saying like it didn't work It was too easy, it didn't work So then I had to change it to something else When I changed it to something else Then it worked and I fixed the problem uh, I mentioned before when I was an undergrad The brothers that were in, we were all in MSA together 
we decided that we wanted to be better in our speech. It wasn't that, mashallah, alhamdulillah, we had a really good group of people. It wasn't like people were cursing or something. You know, alhamdulillah, nobody was cursing, nobody was using foul language, nobody was saying things. Saying things they shouldn't be saying. But we had like negative tendencies we wanted to change. <coughs> to criticize things, to complain about things, stuff like that, you know? So we all agreed amongst ourselves that anytime someone does this, that we'll catch each other and they have a running tab of push-ups. You know? Like if someone, if you say it, then they catch them and say, you have 10. And we're like, oh man, 10. And then, but of, of course if you do that for a couple of days, like 10 push-ups is no longer hard. Right? So that, it had to change. Now the punishment had to increase. Like, and, and of course you're doing less of it after time passes. So it had to become more like, okay, now if you do it, there's 30 push-ups is your penalty. 50 push-ups is your penalty. So I had to change it, you know. And mashallah, the brothers were like, within a few weeks, a few months, everyone was solid, mashallah, in their speech. <laughs> the problem fixed itself pretty quickly. But the idea is, uh, we can do this, you know. We have some agent. There's stories like that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to keep a stone in his mouth to help him control his speech. So he'd keep the stones. Anytime then he wants to speak, he'd have to take it out. <laughs> he'd talk. That's Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. So people had some like this is a place to use a little bit of creativity. I'm like okay, I have this that. I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna try to fix this. I'm gonna do it this way. I'm gonna do it that way. So may Allah subhanahu wa taala give us tawfiq. Hala wa sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wasallam. Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin. Any questions or comments anyone has? Yes, sir. Yes, Muhammad. Yeah. 